Hi, I'm Biz. I'm a working parent with a kid and a teen. It's been 10 years since the show began, and a lot has changed on the show and in the world. But by elevating the voices of others, we have learned we are not alone, and we are doing a good job. This is still a show about life after giving life. This is One Bad Mother. This week on One Bad Mother, I can't hear you over all my internal screaming. We talked to New York Times parenting newsletter and opinion writer Jessica Gross about her new book. Plus, Biz Gets Wet. Woo! This is a check-in. Uh, is everybody just fed up with the holiday season? Like, it's not even, it's the first week of December, and I'm just done already. And I'm that annoying person who pretty much has all my Christmas shopping done. But you know why? Because my child has a December 23rd birthday. And this year, like, I just realized there's no good time to do a birthday party when your kid has a December 23rd birthday and you are a household that celebrates Christmas. So we're doing a party Uh, on Sunday, December 18th. And you know exactly who's planning it. And, oh, did yeah. I also mention my partner turns 40 on January 2nd? So no. I am stuck at Christmas as if that wasn't enough. Already planning Christmas and then also having to plan a six-year-old's birthday party yeah. and birthday and my husband's. And I also have to deal with my in-laws. I mean, you know, I'm trying to get out of that as much as I can, and that's going <laughs> pretty well. But this season, seriously, like, it just it, isn't it supposed to be fun? Like, no. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm not having any fun. I am really excited, though, for Christmas Day to unwrap the presents that I bought for my husband to give me because I did get myself some really nice things. So, you know, I'm going to call it a win. And, yeah, so happy holidays, whatever you celebrate, and you are all doing a great job. And woo! <laughs> Woo! Indeed. Okay. First of all, you're doing an amazing job. You are a genius making sure you get the things you want. And secret genius being in charge of so many things means less time for in-laws if they're not your favorite people. So again, good job, genius. Check. Yeah. December is a lot. And holiday birthdays are, <laughs> are just... They're a lot. Some people love them. Some people just nail it. Some parents know how to nail kids' holiday birthdays. Some kids really like it. My mom's birthday is the same birthday as your child, the 23rd. Ellis's birthday is like a few days after Thanksgiving, right? And so that's a, a hard time to like find a time for a party or to do stuff. And it's, you know... That's a lot. People are traveling schools out. So it's not like you can just like guarantee a school birthday party if that's the kind of thing that you do. And as they get older, kids kind of want to do a birthday party because they've caught on to the fact that they get more presents, which can be a bonus if other people are giving your child a lot of presents so that you can like spread it out for like the Christmas holiday if that's what you're celebrating. Either way, it's too much. You're doing too much. And I see you, and I hope you get all the things you bought yourself, (laughs) and I hope you get one or two things a little early, because you probably deserve a little early stocking stuffer. You're doing such a good job, and I'm going to like just take this on to talk about Ellis's birthday party. So birthday was a couple of days after Thanksgiving. If you push it out, to Thanksgiving weekend, no one's around. No one's around. Plus, it's the Iron Bowl, everybody. It's the Alabama-Auburn football game. Just not not going to try and double book that. So we pushed it out to the week after. So it was this weekend. And I got to tell you, it felt like a scramble. I never feel like I ever plan any of my children's birthdays with a reasonable amount of time. I always feel like I'm like in my car last minute trying to fucking figure out with Stefan, what we're going to do. And Ellis is like, just turned nine, which is a really weird age to be like, "Eh, what kind of party is this? He's not sporty. So we're not doing a sporty party. It's also still COVID-y. So we're not doing like a movie party, but he wanted a party, party, party because he wanted them presents. So I was like, oh, we could do like a 
party at a park, but I don't want to play any games. And I had the genius idea of hiring a magician. And it was awesome. It was incredibly awesome, except for the fact that in Southern California, it rained. <laughs> it was a damp party. And the magician could only be there in the morning like for a 1030 slot. So we made it a cereal party, a breakfast cereal party. And so there were many boxes of complete garbage cereal, which were delicious. There were donuts. There were bagels. There was orange juice, milk, and coffee for the parents. And then we gave people little mini boxes of cereals. <laughs> They're going to wake ups. And not everybody likes that much sugar. Oh, and we, oh, guys, okay, I'm going to save that for my genius, but I have a genius coming up involving cupcakes. So sit back for that. Anyway, Ellis had actually a really great birthday. This may be our first party experience in which there was not frustration, crying, or clinging only to me. All of his friends got along. The magician was great. And uh, yeah, everybody had a good time, even though it was raining for a large portion <laughs> of this party. And we did it. And we did it. That was a big deal. We left the house. We did it. And then we came back. So it was fun. And he got lots of fun presents. And that was good. Speaking of presents, real quick, I want to remind everybody that there is new merch in the merch shop. You can go to maxfunstore.com and you can find yourself a low bar t-shirt. You can find yourself a national One Bad Mother Forest t-shirt. You can find yourself an I Did It shirt. There are sweatshirts, t-shirts, a variety of sizes, all the way up to 5XL. You can also pick the color of the shirt in most cases. And for those of you who have asked, yes, we are going to move over some of the old merch to the shop haggard and broken for sure, and the original OBM shirt. And of course, oh, and there's a trucker hat. And all proceeds from sales go directly to the National Abortion Fund Network, which is great. So you can get a gift for yourself, get a gift for a loved one, tell somebody to get you this gift, and you can support a cause that is very important to us. With that said... It's not like we don't have enough that we're supposed to be doing and juggling on top of, you know, all of the things we list on this show all the time, which is why our guest, Jessica Gross, has so eloquently put into her new book why everything is so impossible. So stick around. We're going to talk with Jessica Gross about her new book, Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood. Please take a moment to remember, if you're friends of the hosts of One Bad Mother, you should assume that when we talk about other moms, we're talking about you. If you are married to the host of One Bad Mother, we definitely are talking about you. Nothing we say constitutes professional parenting advice. Ms. and Teresa's children are brilliant, lovely, and exceedingly extraordinary. Nothing said on this podcast about them implies otherwise. One Bad Mother is supported in part by HelloFresh. It's the most festive time of the year, and we're all too busy to cook. <laughs> so HelloFresh is here to help make the most of every moment. From holiday hosting to dinners during busy weeknights, you can count on HelloFresh to deliver fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes. Looking for variety? You found it. HelloFresh now owns Green Chef, which now means there is a wider array of meal plans to choose from. HelloFresh has made getting through the week so much easier in this house. And just knowing that I have all the ingredients that I need and that it's only going to take 30 minutes to cook it has really been very helpful. Go to HelloFresh.com badmother18 and use code badmother18 for 18 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com badmother18 and code BADMOTHER18 for 18 free meals and free shipping. You probably already have a favorite animal. Maybe it's a powerful apex predator like the tiger or a cute and cuddly panda. And those are great, but have you considered something a little more unconventional? Could I perhaps interest you in the Greenland shark, which can live for nearly 400 years? Or maybe the jewel wasp who performs brain surgery on cockroaches to control their minds? 
On Just the Zoo of Us, we review animals by giving them ratings out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Listen with friends and family of all ages to find your new favorite animal with Just the Zoo of Us on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Everybody, I am so excited. Jessica Gross is here. If you do not know who they are, shame on you. They are an opinion writer at the New York Times who writes a popular newsletter on parenting, really the only newsletter on parenting you should be getting. They have never once compared something inside of me to a pineapple. (laughs) Jez was the founding editor of Lenny, the email newsletter and website. She also writes about women's health, culture, politics, and grizzly bears. She was named one of LinkedIn's next wave top professionals, 35 and under, in 2016. Don't do the math. And glamour game changer in 2020 for her coverage of parenting in the pandemic. She is the author of the novels Soulmates and Sad Desk Salad. It's the best name ever. She was formerly a senior editor at Slate and an editor at Jezebel. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, New York. You don't York. have to go through all that whole. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> They're fucking everywhere. They're everywhere. Do, do, you have, do you have print? You read it. She's yes. there. Welcome, Jessica. I really just wanted to say Jezebel because I love Jezebel. Anyway. That's such a good Welcome, Jessica. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk about all of the things. Just oh, all of them. <laughs> all of them. We're going to talk about all yeah. the things. I want everybody to know that I appreciate Jessica's background, uh, apartment, I'm assuming apartment, house, wherever you are, because I'm yeah. going to get to that question. She just has a stack of books. There's no, like, beautifully curated library. It's just stack of books, which Mm -hmm. I find very realistic. (laughs) And I appreciate. Jessica, who lives in your house besides that stack of books? So I live in an apartment with my husband, Mike, and we have two kids. They are almost 10, which is shocking to me. Mm -hmm. My older daughter will be 10 next week. And then I have another daughter who is six. Oh my gosh. I love these ages. I feel like they're the best ages. We can get into this too. Like, yeah. I feel like every parent has a different age where they struggle with the, the most. I found yeah. having, I loved having babies. I struggled so much with toddlers. Yeah. Just between like one and two, I was just like, you're so cute yeah. and you are sucking my life force. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're holding me prisoner yeah. in my body and house. Yes. <laughs> I, I found like the hardest part of parenting for me was when my little one was one. And my older one was four. Just every day, I was like, how am I going to get through this day? And I did. I got through it. And now they are six and (laughs) almost 10. And they're so delightful and self-sufficient and fun to talk to. And so I'm just feels like a really nice time with them. So that's who lives in my house. All right. Screaming on the inside. Second best name to sad desk salad. (laughs) Screaming on the inside. The unsustainability of American motherhood is your new book. I'm going to guess it's based on a lot of the stuff you've been writing recently. Yes, (laughs) yes. So my my first question, I totally am not going to ask what led you to write this book because I I know why you wrote this book. I think my question is more, what were the challenges of writing this book? I feel like you could have gone in so many directions with it. Well, one of the things is there's just so, there's so much research on motherhood. There's just, mothers have been talking about their experiences. Researchers have been looking at their experiences, historians, sociologists. And it's so funny. There's a crop of new parents every year, right? Every minute, new parents are coming into the world. And often what people will tell me is, why didn't anyone ever tell tell me? me? And it's like, Everyone has been talking about it for so long. Just no one listens to them. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the problems, but a joyful problem was just like, how do I, first, I could have researched this for a decade. I could have just all the books, all of the research. And I am so indebted and grateful to every parent who has written on this topic before me, because again, there's as many stories as there are parents. I wish I could have included them all. Um, So just sort of narrowing down the whole, getting my arms around it. Right. Um, Because I do try to provide a kind of truncated history of American motherhood. And so um, I 
I really hope I didn't leave anything important out. I tried my best, but uh, <laughs> it is only one book. So there's many, many books that everyone should read that, yes. you know, just cover so many things. So that was one challenge. I mean, just logistically, it. I worked six or seven days a week for 18 months. Mm. And I don't recommend anyone doing that. It's yeah. crazy. I will say that I use work as a coping mechanism. Yes. Yeah. So. What, what do you mean? I can't even possibly relate. It's so, like, yeah. 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 So everyone's like, how are you so productive? And it's like, well, I don't sleep when I'm anxious. And so I am exhausted right now. I would love to be in my bed taking right. a nap. But I'm uh, fueled by rage. It fueled, just- <laughs> fueled by rage and fear every day of my life. And my husband is a real partner. Um, and he protected Sunday mornings. All of my Sunday mornings were writing mornings. And, nice. you know, because obviously I have a full-time job as well. And so the work had to happen after bedtime during the week and then on the weekends. And yeah. so he just was like, I am so proud of you for this. Like, Sunday morning is yours. I'll take the kids out. I'll do whatever you need. You know, if I needed longer, a Sunday, yeah. great. Like, it's yours. And so just, I recommend everyone having such a supportive partner because- It's really it is- nice. It's really and, helpful. And honestly, like living, we live near my parents. My parents watch the girls sometimes. Yeah. Until the end of the summer of 2021, we had a nanny and Shelly yeah. loves, Shelly is an amazing person. Without Shelly, this would not be. So just, you know, no working parent does it without, you know, paid help, family help. So all of or that just made crying. it possible. Lot crying, of crying. Yes, yes. But in yes. terms of like the volume of work I was able to get done, <laughs> that, I don't think it would be possible without, no. you know, other people. <laughs> right, right. But also, good job receiving that help and <laughs> yes. asking for it. Because I think that that's like a really hard thing for people to do. It, I mean, and plays right into that, you know, notion of motherhood. And, and I hate saying martyrism because I'm like, no, I... I don't think it comes from a place of like, see, I can do it. I think it comes from an exterior place of what do you mean you can't do it all? How dare you ask for help, right? And so like, I think it should be acknowledged that whether it's a nanny or whether it's after school care or before school care or, you know, relatives, friends, neighbors, asking because you deserve it. You deserve to do the work that you want to do to do. I think it's also, it's shame and guilt for not being, so it's not even wanting to martyr yourself. It's like not wanting to feel those feelings. And I'm not actualized out of them. Like there are many times where I was like, oh, they're at the park this morning. It's such a nice day. They're having so much fun. Why am I not with them? It's not like I was just like, yes. And I, (laughs) it was all easy. It felt great every time. No, it didn't, but it felt important. So I'm glad that I did it. (laughs) See, that's also like the thing is that we talk about here all the time and it's the most stunning one to me. And I wish culturally we would get past it. And it's the like, I love my kids, but, or I had the help, but I mean, I was really working. Well, you know what? If you had fucking just been laying around, like eating bonbons with your toes, good for you. I'm sorry. I could just, I'm like, you know, they don't cancel each other out and they don't, you can just have help because you need some fucking help or some time. Anyway. Absolutely. So challenges, you got that done. Yes. Okay. Did you find while writing it, there was like one area, you you know, kind of covered the history and, you know, you talk about now, but like, was there an area that you really felt you could have just drowned in, that you really just could have gone on and on in? I, you know, I, I found those parts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love reporting. I love talking to other people about their stories. I feel privileged that people are willing to open up to me and feel vulnerable and tell me their truths. And so I could have talked to 200 more people. I could have just done that forever. And it would have revealed other angles. You know, it's at some point you, there just was, I had a deadline, you know, there was time constraints, but (laughs) I just, I think that there's so many unexplored little pockets and avenues and experiences in the way that I think, what was surprising to me about the book was people from all different backgrounds had very similar senses of what the ideal was, yeah. but the way the ideal impacted them 
all different. Ooh, how give it played me some out, examples. How it give played us out in their lives. Well, I was very surprised to hear from a woman who was a military wife. Yeah. Her father had been in the military, so part of the military family. And in 2021, and maybe this is, you know, my bias is, you know, growing up in New York, living in New York. I was so shocked that in 2022, or I guess I think I talked to her in 2021, a woman would still feel so guilty about not wanting to be a stay-at-home mom forever. Like she was having to, you know, she was doing the work. I was really proud of her going, you know, getting therapy, going through, like talking her and her husband was not unsupportive. He was like, yes, you should go, you know, if if you don't want to be a stay-at-home mom, like don't, you should do X, Y, and Z. But her internal guilt about not wanting stay-at-home forever, because that's the sort of modeling she had seen, it just broke my heart, to be honest. You know, I wanted her to live the life that she, and if, and if anyone wants to be a stay-at-home parent forever and that makes them happy, that's amazing too. But just that it was so ingrained in her that that's what she should want. And that even with support, she still had to really get past that sort of mental block that she had, that not wanting it meant there was something wrong with her. I found that really surprising, to be honest. It's amazing the baggage Sometimes we're not even aware we have right. until kids show up in your house and what triggers that baggage of like, well, I'm supposed to be, or this is supposed to make me feel, or I can't do a- And then the people around us also have those responses and baggage. And I think one of the hardest things is, is separating yourself from that. While it is surprising, it's also not surprising given that a lot of the imagery and cultural norms or like just the wording. Like I remember when we started the podcast and I just had like Raiden, there was this whole like every news story was about the mommy war. Mm -hmm. And I began to think maybe there wasn't a mommy war. (laughs) Maybe it was just an easy thing to write about. And if I was going to really wake up at two o'clock in the morning overthinking something, I would say maybe it was just another way to get women to hate each other. (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But I feel like parenting, especially motherhood, but no, fuck it, parenting in general, because like I I think people who identify as fathers in, in their relationships, they also get the shit end of the stick when it comes to cultural norms. And I, I am just astonished that. We still fall for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, part of the whole point of the book is yeah. that even when you don't want to fall for it, the structures around you just keep pushing you to it. Right. And right. <laughs> I mean, it's something as, that we don't even think about day to day, Yeah, which is the hours of the school day, yeah. which do not match up to the hours of almost work. anybody's work day. No. Right. And so if you're going to be in even a two-parent family, and both those parents have full-time jobs, Yeah, you've got a math problem. That is (laughs) your job to solve. Good luck. And they're like, well, if you just had one person stay home, this would be so much easier. Or can you just leave your job and and just just take off early? Yeah. Oh, and if you're sick, you guys can figure it out. What I would like to jump into that because you talk about that and you've also written about it because this is a book specifically about American motherhood. Yes. And the moment you have a kid in your house, you learn that any time off is considered disability in our country. It's not, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a disability that you're having a child and that you need any time off. So that's like an example of something in place. What else and why can't every politician who's yelling, family, 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 figure it out? <laughs> well, I mean, the, there's several reasons. I know, I mean, and you <laughs> are supposed to answer all of them and speak for all things. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm doing my best. I can't. You're doing I, good. I, I, I try. But, I mean, the reason that I wanted to focus on American motherhood is because, like I say, I think several times in the book, for as wealthy a country as we are, we give the least to parents. That is just factual. That is any other country that is as high income as ours gives vastly more to parents. I was just looking yesterday. It's, it was something like the average 
country that has similar GDP to us spends $14,000 a year on a toddler's care and America spends $500. (laughs) (laughs) $14,000? Yeah, because, but that's, okay, so that's, we're talking about the first problem. These things are expensive. Yeah. Giving people leave, high quality childcare, because people who provide childcare should be paid a good wage because it is a hard job. It is a very hard (laughs) job. I mean, you I mean, just that idea that any, it's acceptable for any child to have a less than high quality experience of care is ridiculous. So anything related to children gets paid shit. Teachers, childcare, you know, all of it. Go ahead. (laughs) But so, I mean, as an American specific problem, this is a political problem, right? And yeah. we need we need politicians to fund this. And it is expensive. Full stop. There's no sugarcoating that it's expensive. It costs a lot of money. You will either have to raise taxes or you will have to shift funds from something else. They don't want to do it. Despite the fact that all of these policies, and especially paid leave, paid sick leave, paid family leave, the most popular. Because yeah. it's not just a parent thing. It's not just a mom thing. No. Almost everyone, every human on this planet is going to be in a position where they have to take care of someone else at some point. It is an elderly parent, a friend, a sibling, somebody. Somebody is going to need care in our interconnected lives. That is humanity, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's so simple, right? So, of course, it's that people want that because they love their families. Like, again, the words coming out of my mouth sound dumb because like they just sound not they sound so obvious because they're just being human right so it's expensive whoa whoa (laughs) Whoa. being human don't even we're we just march forward and are just ready to be it anyway right so they're very popular regardless of political affiliation regardless if you're rural or urban or whatever People want those policies in America. They do. They really do. I know. But they're expensive. So sure. that's one reason we don't have them. Two, they're, you know, very conservative Republicans are a political minority in this country that has an outsized power in federal government. Yeah. And as long as that remains the truth, they very firmly believe um, that men they only in the nuclear family, only in men and women being married, only in the man being the head of the household and the provider. And so the idea that the government would encourage people in family structures that are not that specific structure, they don't want to do that. <laughs> they're not interested. I know. Well, but they're interested in more babies. <laughs> they're interested in you having all the babies. Right. But again, without any support in place and yeah well Um, actually i mean i think in a perverse way because the birth rate is dropping we might actually see very conservative politicians start to back some pro-family policies because they're like yeah, we, this is not working. Yeah, for- guess what? <laughs> guess what? The reason we had abortion as an option or any whatever you wanted to choose to do, was because you'd given us no other options in terms of support or care, or you just didn't want a baby. That's fine. Let me just be very clear about that. I'm just saying right. that like, it's a hard choice if you know that there is no support for you. And it it conflicts their two sorts of strains of rhetoric, right? Because the one strain of rhetoric is personal responsibility, right? Right. And so if you're listening to them and you're taking personal responsibility and you're saying, you know what, I'm only going to have one child because that's all I can afford. Great. And then they're like, wait, but why aren't you having more children? And it's like, well, I thought you wanted us to take personal responsibility. So pick one. (laughs) Pick it. (laughs) Like those two things don't intellectually make sense. Because look. There's all sorts of policies that I want that I understand will never happen because I live in the world or not happen in the near term. Exactly. And so one of the things that makes me mildly optimistic about getting some of these policies is the fact that I actually do think people who traditionally have not supported these policies are realizing that they are needed for society to function. Yeah. People can't do their jobs without a childcare system that has some give in it because people get sick. and. You know, people are leaving to take a better job at a retail outlet, and as they should. Yeah, well, I appreciated the work that you did on the impact of 
COVID, especially that the year. And of course, it went on a lot longer. And hey, guess what? COVID's actually still here, everybody. Anyway, but focusing on its impact and on families, especially mothers. And I, to me, I also saw some hope within that of, all right, the shit has hit the fan. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I mean, you can't unsee this. And it's so funny, all the support and help for long COVID and the description of what long COVID is and how it, I have a sister-in-law, she has long COVID. Mm-hmm. And in listening to her describe the services that had become available and the resources and the time off that they were able to get, I kept thinking all of your symptoms which are valid and fair, also sound like postpartum, Mm. right? In which if you have a baby in this country, you're expected to go back to work pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. There is no medical, real care, follow-up workshops, treatment plans, you know, like no one's asking you to come in every week to check on your symptoms and how you're doing, your fatigue, all like that fatigue is dismissed right away. And I, like, it was another impact of how COVID and the pandemic is impacting parenthood, or we're missing it, or we're missing, like, right, like, here's, look at all this positive stuff about helping our community who is sick, right, or recovering from an illness that we can all point at and say, illness, illness, illness. Mm-hmm. But we can't turn that spotlight onto motherhood because we don't see that as like you're supposed to feel tired so what you know it's your fault (laughs) exactly well that's I mean that that idea is something I've noticed really rise up I would say in the past I want to say less than 10 years I want to say eight or seven or eight years where anytime you say anything negative about the experience of parenthood mm-hmm. the retort is just well you you chose to be a parent so yeah. deal with it and yeah. that gives no credit to the work not even just the work that goes into it but that it's a good for society to have more children like <laughs> children uh, exist I'm just like am I yeah. having to argue in favor of children existing like that sounds seems very strange but but you also know, people it, hate kids but they you do. want them to exist I mean like I have my first up in Brooklyn oh man and I was there for the old like park slope days of the what was the name of that newsletter that kept going around that essentially was like every time Somebody ran into a child, they had to post about it and how horrible it was that the woman even left the house with a baby in a stroller. Uh, <laughs> good yeah. times. It was a good time to be alive. It's like airplanes. My husband's always like, hey, guess what, everybody? Babies are in the world. Yeah. They're going to be on the plane. You know, like. I, it's just this idea that you should never be inconvenienced by anyone or anything in the entire world. And I'm like, it's just, we got to just deal with each other. I mean, I think I actually think so. I live in Brooklyn, too. Yeah. In some ways, New York is better about that because we all live so close together. Close, Everyone, yeah. You're just going to accept a level of noise, craziness, whatever in your face. And I do think my I think COVID did something the COVID time did something to my brain where I don't, I can't, it's like, was this yesterday or six Uh, years ago? Right. It all just, I was like, was this 2019? In any event, um, (laughs) the only thing I remember really getting talked to about my kids was they just could not keep their socks on. And all the old grannies were just like, no, why does your children not have socks on? I'm like, I'm trying. I oh, can't yeah, glue the them. Thing. I cannot glue their socks on. Yeah. I wish that I could. I know yeah. how cold it is out. Like, I'm not <laughs> trying to bring this baby out here with no socks on. Like, I, you know, I would always try to, like, put them in the blanket so they couldn't yeah. take the socks. Like, I did my best. But, like. You're failing yeah. as a mother. <laughs> I just, re- I remember having real anxiety every oh, time. Course. Like, going out in the winter and just being like, I yeah. know that this kid is going to take their hat off so fast yeah. and I'm going to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, just, yeah, FYI, 100%. My kids were all like strippers in the cold weather. And I was like, what? And in the summer, 
the youngest one, always wore like long sleeves and pants. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so hot in California. Why are you doing that? And they're like, I'm like, everybody just probably thinks I'm a horrible mother. But then I gave up on that thought. I will say, and shout out to other places, not New York. I can remember, I mean, I had a really hard time adjusting to motherhood. In fact, I still am. And (laughs) I may never, I may never really be like, yep, this is where it's at. But we were... Raiden was like, you know, one or two, and we had gone home to visit my parents who were in Alabama at the time. And I remember going out to like a, you know, barbecue restaurant, some joint, and actually feeling like it was the first place where people knew that babies existed in the world, right? Like, because everybody, like, I don't know, maybe everybody in there at the moment was a grandparent. I don't know. But like, everybody was just like, yeah, baby. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't get one side eye. I didn't get the like, we don't want to sit next to that table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that table. And I remember being like, oh, that feels good. I think all locations have a thing mm-hmm. that like helps, but I do think it's, it can feel few and far between because I think new parents, especially, it doesn't matter how much support and love they have. They can feel so isolated mm-hmm. and so utterly alone. See, to me, that's such a shame. Like, that's such a, like, ugh, you're not. You're not alone. And like you said at the beginning, people have been talking about it. No one listened. But it's the same with some of those things. You're not doing a bad job. You know, you're just not listening to everybody else fucking up. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I mean, that was actually revelatory for me about reading those diaries and letters that historians had, had, you know, surfaced from women in the 17, 18, 1900s and how they save for the antiquated language were expressing things about new motherhood, especially that anyone would express today, you know, how tired they were, how out of sorts they felt. And they really were open and intimate with their friends, their sisters, their mothers. And even the thing that really surprised me, because you think of sort of egalitarian marriage and and dads being really involved as only a, a very recent thing. But I remember there was reading one letter. I can't even remember if it made it into a book, but it was like a Civil War era woman who was just bitching about she was just like yeah and Orville is not involved at all he keeps going he keeps like (laughs) leaving for for a week at a time and I'm so tired and I just want him to like be more involved and I was like yeah the way she said it obviously not modernized but you know they they felt it too they wanted their (laughs) spouses to be involved with with their children and so I think it's both maddening and comforting that it's these feelings are eternal, you know? Yeah. So we have been speaking a lot with Eleanor Cleghorn, uh, who wrote the book Unwell Women and is my favorite beach read ever now, <laughs> about the history of medicine and its use in through shame and fear and guilt being used to control women and rob them of their power, especially Mm -hmm. around, you know, I mean, all medicine back then was about their reproductive. I mean, they didn't know anything about their reproductive systems, but women were vessels and monsters and possessed and evil. It's so much fun stuff. Uh, (laughs) I'm just like, ooh, what? We could look at you and turn you to stone? I fucking wish. (laughs) Seriously. Right? But I wonder, so that was in place for a really, 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 really long time. Obviously, we can still see the effects of that when I think about the woman who you talked about saying she didn't feel like she could do anything other than be a stay-at-home mom. But I'm wondering if through your writing, if you feel like you could talk about like the modern versions of this. What new systems are in place that we need to be aware of and questioning when it comes to how... Uh, specifically mothers, are being manipulated? Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. Just because you're mentioning it now, the first thing that comes to mind is on health. Yeah. I think there is a notion that our children's health is fully under our control. And I've written about this before. And like anything bad that happens to their health, 
oh, it's because you didn't breastfeed long enough or you breastfed yeah. too long or you slept with them or, you right. know, you they were exposed at the wrong time to the wrong kind of plastic. And shouldn't <laughs> you have known better than to do that to them? And so that yeah. I think is a particularly modern issue because, you know, as I say in the book, 150 years ago, when parents were mostly concerned with keeping themselves and their children alive. There was before vaccines, there were so many communicable diseases, and certainly they felt responsible for their children's health, but they didn't have the sense that they actually had all that much control. And I think it, it sort of breaks my heart that instead of feeling freer, because we have modern medicine and there are so much that so much life is so much safer and healthier than it was. I mean, certainly not for everyone. And there's so much environmental racism. So I'm not trying to suggest that we currently live in a health, you know, healthy panacea for all. Um, but instead of, of making life less stressful for parents about their children's health, it sort of seems like we've convinced them that in fact, no, it's, it, you have everything under your control. And if anything goes wrong, that's your fault. I wrote a column over the summer that just about, I'm pretty much, I think my children are old enough that I don't really think about that stuff as much anymore. Yeah. I think that when your kids are babies, that's very top of mind. But there was this week over the summer where both my kids had eczema outbreaks. And the first emotion that I felt, and this is just honest emotion was, this is my fault. What did I do wrong? What did I forget to do? Did I, you know, was it something I fed them? You know, that somehow something that I could have controlled, this was all my fault. And because I do what I do for a living, that was a flash. It was a flash. And then my intellectual brain could be like, hold up. Yeah. They just have eczema. (laughs) Call the pediatrician. It's not a death sentence. Like they'll, (laughs) right. She just said, put some aquaphor on it. Yeah. It cleared up. It was fine, but it was just like, even I should know better. And yet even I still will have that first lizard brain instinct of like, this was your fault. So (laughs) I I, I think that that's, that's one sort of very modern incarnation of all of this. It's like one thing that really occurred to me through all the research is how much these ideals shape shift. You know, it's sort of whatever is in vogue in the moment, whatever are sort of current fears. It's almost like, have you ever read sort of histories of horror movies? It's like, oh, you know, they were, this was the kind of monster they had in 1955 because they were afraid of a nuclear winter. So it feels the same. (laughs) That's how it felt reading about the fears that they are trying to push on to, to parents. It felt very much like, okay, well, this is what's going on in society at that moment. And so this is the corresponding pressure or fear or, you know, desire that they are wanting mothers to feel. So, yeah, but the health stuff really, I think is big right now. And obviously I believe very strongly in vaccinations, but I even have a lot of empathy for parents who are suspicious because in my experience, Often they feel that way because they have been horribly mistreated by the medical establishment in some way, and they have lost trust. Yeah. And it makes sense why they would come to that conclusion, which is a conclusion that I don't, let me be a hundred thousand percent clear, not one that I agree with. But I think like I have, I just have so much empathy for why they would get to that conclusion because usually it's, they were ignored, you know, they had a very complicated birth and their baby was really not okay. And nobody listened to them about their fears. And they, you know, there's often, not always, but often a narrative like that, that leads someone to just not trust doctors or the med- or mainstream medicine. And I, I fully understand why that would be. But I think that's also a good takeaway in general. I mean, parenting, especially at the beginning, has so much to do with like, they're doing it at me. That worked for them. It's my fault. It's not working for me. Or yep. they did that. We are so much better. Right? <laughs> like, you know, oh, your baby's not sleeping. My three-day-old is totally sleeping and will oh. for the rest of their life. Look how great I am. Right? That shut down right away. But I think for me, my empathy moment like that was I was a little, my kids were a little older. And it, it infuriates me when people leave grocery carts in the middle of the fucking parking garage. I mean, the parking lot. Oh, I'm like, I hate that too. What the fuck? But then I thought, 
Oh my God. I one time, not just once, I have on multiple occasions, football carried my youngest who was screaming at a <laughs> level that, ma- that would make people at Disney turn, right? Like, I mean, that's like loud because everybody's yelling yeah. at Disney. But when like, they look at you with the face because your kids, I mean, like such a unique haunting scream, crying, kicking the other kid. I'm like, you fucking leave that cart. Oh, yeah. Leave it. You if just you abandon just, it. <laughs> just get in your car. Right? If, if, if that's all you've got. So now whenever I see a cart, I assume it is because somebody is having that day, right? Like, what, what is the narrative that leads up to understanding why? It's that empathy that I think yeah. will help us beat this, that will help us beat these narratives that are being given to us and fed to us and have existed forever and ever. I find that your book, Screaming on the Inside, really helps get us a step closer to that. And so does your work with the New York Times. I am, I can remember when you got the job and how thrilled I was that, that parenting was being taken seriously as a topic to be discussed So I appreciate the work that you do. And thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate the work that you do. I mean, just having these frank conversations in in a fun way. I mean, that's the thing that I always try to bring to it. It's just like often parenting, it can be serious, but often it is the silliest, most exciting. (laughs) Everybody's shitting in your tub. That's like the theme of this show. Guess what? Kids going to shit in the tub, and an hour later, you're going to get in the tub. And that is, and like everybody knows it, and that is just, that is the great unifier, and just get on, move along, right? It's the metaphor for parenthood, period. It is. It's never in a book. It was in my book, and Teresa's book, but it ain't in the other book. No one tells you they're going to shit in your tub. All right, Jessica, thank you for joining us. Everybody. You know how to get books and go online. But we are going to make it easy because life is hard. And we're going to link you up to Screaming on the Inside. We're going to link you up to where you can read Jessica's work. You just had a piece out, what is it, yesterday or today? Wednesday about Magnolia Mother's Trust, which I recommend if you have any money to spare this Christmas. It is a great organization that provides a basic income to low-income black moms in Jackson, Mississippi. Oh, um, yeah, Mississippi. Yeah, let's do and, it. Yeah, Bring Jackson, it. Mississippi, has, with their water crisis, has been a rough yeah. year for them, and this is a great organization that is helping so many local moms. So I, That is great. We will also link everybody up to that. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday and you're doing a really good job. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> I hope you have a great holiday, too. Thank you. Manners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Hey, you know what it's time for this week's Genius and Fails. This is the part of the show where we share our genius moment of the week, as well as our failures, and feel better about ourselves by hearing yours. You can share some of your own by calling 206-350-9485. That's 206-350-9485. Genius fail time, genius fail time, genius fail time me. Genius me, me, I will. Okay. Wow. Oh my God. Oh my God. I saw what you did. Oh my God. I'm paying attention. Wow. You, Mom, are a genius. Oh my God, that's fucking genius. Ellis wanted cupcakes for his birthday. I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with a little movie series 
known as Star Wars. In particular, Return of the Jedi, in which Jabba is going to toss Luke and everyone into the Sarlacc pit, which is a creature that lives in the sand and is full of teeth and other nasty things. Ella's wanted Sarlacc pit cupcakes. Now, believe it or not, no one has made these before and posted a picture of them on the internet. So that was hard. I began, I made my first one, sort of this like, it's really hard to make a tan icing, especially on the morning of the birthday party. So it's sort of a greenish, blackish, sort of earthy tone color with a little pink on the inside, the bloody, you know, red on the, and then these, the white teeth that I piped. Did it look like a very angry vagina? Oh, it did. It looked... It looked like the angriest of vaginas. And I was like, Ellis, this is, I can't, this, I don't, this is awful. This is bad. But Ellis was actually really supportive and came out and helped. And we kind of figured out a way to make it look more like a Sarlacc pit with one of Ellis's really good ideas, which was putting pretzel sticks in it to be the tentacles coming out. And I got to tell you, I feel very satisfied in the fact that I made Sarlacc Pit Cupcakes. I will be saving that recipe for the next period party event that comes up as well. Hey, Biz. This is a genius. So I have a four-year-old with ADHD and a six-year-old with autism and ADHD. And so I've avoided the movies up until now. I found a matinee of a movie they'd seen, which I didn't know until the end, that was only $5 each, which is great because money is tight. And I was so nervous because these kids have never sat still in their life. And so I packed all sorts of snacks and all sorts of toys and everything and turns out didn't need it. I started off the movie giving them each a ring pop. And in two hours, they each had two ring pops sat still and were quiet the entire time. It is nothing short of a miracle. Thanks. Love the show. You are nothing short of a miracle. That is like one of those geniuses where, you know, something great just happened. Something amazing happened. You had a nice time with your children outside of the house, and it took very little effort, despite how well prepared you were, and you did it. And I see you. And that, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't just walk out of that theater high-fiving everybody that you saw, like a musical opening number. Good job. Failures. Fail, 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 fail! You suck. Okay. So the party was Sunday morning at 10.30. Saturday morning at 10.30, I was at our school opening it up and helping set up for a winter craft market fundraising event. And I'm there with the other organizers, just making sure they have everything they need when I got a text from the amazing Dave, who said that they were at the park, but didn't see anybody. And I realized that I I fucked up. I, I mean, usually, I, I mean, guys, I don't usually fuck up that bad where I'm like, oh, I have the right, like, it says Sunday, but it says the third, right? Like, or, or it says the fourth, but it says Saturday. I went back to the email. Oh, no. Oh, no. I booked the Amazing Dave for Saturday, December 3rd. And I was like, well, fuck me. And I apologized. And... I asked if they might be available for Sunday morning. Luckily, they were. I overtipped the Amazing Dave. And we'll write a very nice Yelp review for the Amazing Dave. But wow, I mean, I just sat there, like everybody, it was one of those moments where like you want to reveal the secret to everybody at the party. It's like, all these parents are like, oh my God, this wound up being such a great party. This was so awesome. I, uh, how do you do it? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't do it very well. I booked him for the wrong day. And it's raining. And I didn't bring chairs for my parents to sit in at an outdoor party. You know, like there was a big long list of things that weren't perfect. So anyway, you're welcome. 
And apologies, as always, to the amazing Dave. Hi, Biz. This is a fail. I go to drop my six-year-old off this morning at school. He goes to private school, wears a uniform every day. And I get there, and I realize all the other kids getting out of the cars are in casual clothes, and I'm confused. So I go to my school email, and I realize that I had not scrolled all the way to the bottom where it said that today was a dress-down day. So my six-year-old, who hates wearing uniform, is probably the only kid not wearing regular clothes today at school. And for some reason, I just feel really bad about it. I know in the grand scheme of things, this is like nothing, but I just... (laughs) feel like a bad mom today. And ironically, I get to wear jeans at work on Friday, so I'm casually dressed, and he's not. Hmm. Thanks for letting me vent. Have a good day. Bye. It is so similar to the start of a horror movie. I mean, this could be the beginning of a horror movie, right? Like, it's a beautiful fall day, right? Children are laughing, birds are singing, you pull up to school in the car line, you've been sick, and you and your kid have been having a great time, right? I mean, like, everything is great. And that's when you pull up and you see, like, the first kid, like, maybe up on the stairs. If they're stairs. This is how I imagine the school in my movie, mind. They're up the stairs. There are some other kids being walked in by parents. People are jumping out of the car. Kids are, like, frolicking. They're having an amazing time because they're free of the uniforms that bind them under normal circumstances. And you realize, like, there's this long, slow pan to your face and the realization that you didn't know. And that's that, like, don't you hate the, like, I read the email. Well, yeah, I read, like, up to almost all the email, right? Like, I do that all the time. I am constantly living in a state of panic that, is this the week that that's supposed to happen? Is this the thing? So, yeah. Yeah, my friend. You failed today. You failed. You failed your six-year-old child by not knowing that it was fucking casual Friday at your school. I am so deeply embarrassed for you. Actually, what I love is the idea that this is how you find your people in the world. How many other kids were dressed in their uniform and then their parents are your people. That's how you found them. (laughs) That's how you recognize yourselves in a crowd. Well, you're doing a horrible job. TGIF. You are the greatest mom I've ever known. I love you. I love you. When I have a problem, I call you on the phone. Okay, everybody, it is time to listen to a mom have a rant. Hello, I was just, I heard your message and I'm like, is it a genius of failure rant? I think it's a rant. I am in a fucking foul (laughs) mood today and especially bad this afternoon. And I... uh, (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that. I, yeah, it's, I have friends. It's weird. I, I, I have people I know I could say this to, but I felt like I couldn't say it to anyone right now for some reason. So I'm saying it's you. Foul, foul, heinous mood. Murder just in my eyes all day, screaming at everyone who are doing deeply reasonable things and don't deserve to be screamed at, but screaming at everyone because they're fucking annoying. That's why. They're being annoying. They're perfectly reasonable things, but they're fucking annoying. And everyone is bugging the fucking shit out of me. And so now I ate a chocolate fudge ice cream bar. And I'm walking the dog, although that might be a little bit of a fail because I want to murder the dog too. But I'm walking the dog so that I don't murder anyone at my home. Yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping it helps. Actually, even just saying this feels a little bit better. And maybe the walk feels a little bit better too. But, um... Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Thank you. Bye. First of all, you're doing a really good job. You really are. I also recently was in a super fucking bad mood. I was a pill. I mean, I was the bitterest and biggest of like horse pills. I was hard to swallow, as it were. 
And I know this is like true for our kids too, but I don't really care about our kids right now. When you're having a bad day, when you're in a bad mood, actually, it's not the same, is it? Bad day and bad mood are different things. When you are in a bad mood, which you are entitled to have, it's not like you get to go and like avoid people in most cases. You have to still go to work. You still have to go out in the world. You have to interact with your children. Man, my bad mood was, I mean, it was in interacting with my family the other day with my very bad mood. I, and it wasn't just a bad mood. I mean, I was angry. I had, had had a little experience that left me feeling very angry and in a very bad mood. And it was hard to interact with people. I think the best I could do was say, I'm, I'm kind of in a bad mood. I'm going to try my best to my kids. But I also knew I had to like kind of get through it. And it kind of feels like lugging a boulder behind you, you know, even, even if it was downhill, even if it was as easy as like, you know, helping them find a Lego piece. That I was like, I don't want to, in my brain, I'm like, I don't want to fucking find your Lego piece. You can find your Lego piece. Why am I raising, why am I raising children who are completely confident of finding anything on their own? It's me. I'm the monster. I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Taylor. Anyway, uh, I've also listened to the Taylor Swift Lavender album a lot. Midnight's out. Gabe is correcting me, Midnight's, but I have to tell Gabe, we got the Target special LP. That was Lavender. So to be fair, it is both. Look, the point is, it is hard being a person in the world already with kids in your house and all the stuff that we are already carrying around and trying to balance and not balancing. Let's just be clear. And we're all entitled to be in bad moods. And there really is no place to put those bad moods. I mean, I, you know, there just isn't. And I'm glad to hear that you've got people you could call. But this hotline was, I mean, that was actually really good. I could see it all play out. You out on your walk. Good job, by the way, going out to walk the dog. But also just calling and being like, that is a horrible impersonation of you. But also, that's what the hotline is there for. I just see you. And I see your bad mood and I respect your bad mood and you and your bad mood are doing a remarkable job. Everybody, you're all doing a remarkable job, whether you're screaming on the inside or screaming on the outside (laughs) or stomping around in a bad mood. I was so happy to talk with Jessica Gross The research she's done and the resources she has pulled from and put together in this book really supports the show's long-term working theory that it is impossible and no one actually can do anything (laughs) and to stop feeling like shit for it, right? It's just not realistic, Whatever you think the bar is, whatever you think it is you're supposed to be doing as a parent, call the hotline. It's probably too much. It's probably not correct. And and in some cases, give yourself the grace and space to to like know that it's not your fault you feel that way. Sometimes it's just really been ingrained in us and the communities we live in, and that's really hard to escape for anybody. I really appreciated the example in the book of the woman who was spending time in therapy, even though she didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom and her partner supported her in not being a stay-at-home mom, but she felt like she was doing something bad by not doing that. And so she had to do a lot of therapy work to get past that. I get it. That is a believable story to me. And It definitely makes me feel less alone. And I just want to leave you with that, that you are not alone, that you're doing a really remarkable job. And I I see you. It's, it is just legitimately too much. But there's always 
the hope of one day being asked to make angry vagina sarlacc pit cupcakes to get us through it. Keep an eye out for those on Instagram. I will talk to you next week. Bye. I got to low down mama blues. I got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. Got to low down mama blues. You know that right. We'd like to thank Max Fun, our producer, Gabe Mara, our husbands, Stephen Lawrence and Jesse Thorne, our perfect children who provide us with inspiration to say all these horrible things, and of course, you, our listeners. To find out more about the songs you heard on today's podcast and more about the show, please go to MaximumFun.org slash OneBadMother. For information about live shows, our book, and press, please check out OneBadMotherPodcast.com. One Bad Mother is a member of the Maximum Fun family of podcasts. To support the show, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Well, daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blues. Oh, said daddy, baby, bustin' by, not low down mama blues. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.